paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house Where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom But they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing Nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch the show on television, have them go to www.hotm.tv, and they can watch it live, streaming video from anywhere in the world, if they can get through. Uh, If... um, You remember 2007, we went through church history all the way up into uh, the death of Joseph Smith at Carthage Jail. Well, beginning 2009, January, we're going to do a continued examination of LDS history, beginning with the unspoken history just past Joseph Smith Jr.'s death, all the way up to the present time, if time will permit. Excuse me. Additionally, I anticipate that next week here on Heart of the Matter, we're going to have one of the most important shows to date. Uh, No, I won't be revealing any earth-shattering news about the LDS Church, and no, I won't have any special guests. But uh, if you are seeking to understand uh, why uh, Christianity, why Jesus, and why not Mormonism, I would invite you to join us. And to tell your family and friends, if they're LDS, that this would be a show to tune into because it won't be uh, uh, anything that's going to offend them. It's just going to be a simple appeal to uh, Christian uh, beliefs. Just as an FYI, uh, you can also get our Bible teachings. We've gone through the book of Matthew at www.calvarycampus.org. I mean, .com, calvarycampus.com. People are always asking me if uh, what books to read. With Christmas coming up, here are a few to consider. So grab a pencil if you're interested. These books I recommend, and this is just some, uh, a, a rough sampling of some things. On Mormonism, consider An Insider's View of Mormon Origins by uh, Grant Palmer. Blood of the Prophets by Will Bagley. No Man Knows My History by Fawn Brody. And The Golden Bible by M.T. Lamb. Most or all of these books can be uh, obtained through utlm.org, the website. On Christianity, I suggest Why Grace Changes Everything by Chuck Smith, Evidence Demands a Verdict 1 and 2 by Josh McDowell, How Good is Good Enough by Andy Stanley, and the Pilgrim Edition of the Bible. It's by Oxford Press. You can't get it in a bookstore. You have to go online and see someone who's selling it. But if you want a Bible and you don't understand uh, the basics of Christianity, the Pilgrim's Edition is an excellent resource. For some insightful secular nonfiction books, consider How We Know Which Is That How We Know What Isn't So by Thomas Gilovich, People of the Lie by M. Scott Peck, From Socrates to Sartre uh, by T. Z. Levine, A Return to Modesty by Wendy Shallot. True Believer by Eric Hoffer, and Slouching Toward Gomorrah by Robert Bork. All of those are excellent nonfiction books. Excuse me. (laughs) That did it. Uh, Finally, for some awesome secular fiction, really take you away, The Glass Beads Game by Herman Hess, uh, The Unabridged Les Miserables, translated by Norman Denny, uh, written by Victor Hugo, uh, The Scarlet Letter, written by anyone? Hawthorne, Nathaniel Hawthorne. And uh, Native Son by Richard Wright. It's kind of an eclectic little gathering there, but there's some ideas. We get a lot of book requests, and I thought I would throw those out there. And with that, we're going to have a word of prayer.
Dear Lord, we thank you for this time and uh, pray for your uh, spirit to fall upon our viewers, uh, both here in the audience and at home, wherever they may be. We pray for our staff and faculty, volunteers, the technical difficulties, and pray that the message will go out the way you want it to, that I will be able to be clear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, tonight we're uh, presenting our last uh, part of Defending the Bible. It's Defending the Bible Part 4. In Parts 1, 2, and 3, the last three weeks, we've looked at the Old Testament. We've looked at the New Testament. We looked at how books were decided upon as whether they should be canon or not. Tonight, we're going to conclude with a look at manuscript support and translations. Now, above everything else that I say tonight, remember this. The Bible has more supportive manuscript evidence than any other book of antiquity around. By 10,000-fold, it has more manuscript supportive evidence. Those revered books of antiquity that college professors and high school English teachers get all frothy about, uh, like the Odyssey and the Iliad, have nothing in comparison of manuscript evidence compared with the Bible. Keep this in your mind. Now, we're going to begin by talking about the original manuscripts and then sort of show how different Bible texts came forward. And we're going to go and turn to our uh, infamous whiteboard in just a second. But when LDS missionaries and members of the church are asked where the golden plates are located, they get, usually get very excited and they love to say, if they can think of it, well, where are the original manuscripts of the Bible? And um, they act as though they've they can bring the Bible and the Book of Mormon on equal ground with this simple little statement, uh, not really realizing what they say. When we are talking about the original manuscripts of the Bible, remember this, we're talking about 66 uh, singular manuscripts because that's how many books are in the Word of God, Old and New Testament. Now listen, 66 actual documents that were written by the hand of Moses, by the hand or by the hand of the scribe of David, by the actual hand of Isaiah, all right, and all the other, by the hand of Paul or his scribe when he wrote his letters, all right, all of them would be at least 1,800 years old to us. Some of them would be as old as 3,500 years old to us, the singular manuscript of the 66 that we're talking about. My newspaper yellows after a day sitting in the sun, and they mock the Word of God because we don't have the 66 original manuscripts that Moses and the like had in their possession. Um, and these 66 manuscripts were at best written on very inferior materials. It's interesting how God worked that he didn't have them go and do this on some type of lasting material, that he didn't provide the, the people who wrote scripture with, you know, uh, with steel uh, writing tools and things, or whatever it would be that would last forever. God doesn't seem to work that way. He seems to work within how we work, and he just makes his miracles pop up as we go along. The original authors, Moses and Joshua, David, Isaiah, Peter, and Paul, Mary, and just kidding, wrong guy. Uh, they wrote what the Lord gave them, and they wrote them on papyrus with vegetable ink, or, and much later they wrote on vellum. All of them were very uh, tenuous materials to write on in the first place. Then scribes took, and they took those original copies from the hands of them, and they made copies, all right? And they, this was a tedious and arduous and a very serious task, tr taking the Word of God and copying it so that the original uh, manuscript, which may start to now fall apart, has an exact copy. And uh, in the Old Testament uh, case, they would take these copies and store them in the temple, which was a protected place for the children of Israel. I also think in the Ark of the Covenant, but I could be wrong on that. Once the previous document had aged to the point where it was now inferior to use, they would burn or discard those older documents just for continuity's sake and to avoid chaos and to have the new 
exact document in their possession. And when that one would start to wear, the copyists or scribes would then give us another one. If when copying these docu documents, a mistake was made, they would toss the entire document. I've heard in uh, Hebrew folklore that if they made a mistake writing the name of God, they would uh, go and change their clothes and then take a, it's almost like a mikvah, which is a cleansing bath, and then go again to write it. I mean, this was not just you and I sitting in math class and writing down next week's homework assignment. This was dedicated, tedious, checked and rechecked writings, copying of the original manuscript handed down. They acted in the service of the living God, you see. They made it their life to retain continuity and exactness in their labor. Now, as time marched on and over the ages, fragments and bits of these documents that they would discard or burn or get rid of, they would start to compile up. Maybe someone would take one and not burn it and throw it away. And so sometimes they wouldn't take the full manuscript and discard it. They would go on and they'd copy the next one and then this would be left somewhere, maybe in a stack. And so we have these manuscript evidences that date back and are 10,000 fold greater than most uh, books of antiquity. And that's what I'm talking about. So let's go to the whiteboard and uh, I'm going to walk over here and I'm going to try to lay this out for you so you have an understanding of what we're talking about. Oh, look at that artwork. Beautiful. Okay, first we had some, uh, so if you look here, we have the original author and there would be their copy, okay? And then we go and from that single copy, copies were made by the scribes. From those copies, we had fragments that would collect and gather, and you can see partial and not complete, singular little pages or whatever it might be, not whole manuscripts, and we have that. And then we come down and we have partial version manuscripts that came forward. Now, when I say partial version, I mean that they're not the entire Bible. They might be the Old Testament. They might be parts of the Greek. They might be a compilation of different things. These partial versions include the Septuagint, which is the Old Testament written in Greek. So I'm just going to abbreviate it. We have the Septuagint. And that's, they call it that because it was 70 scholars, they think, that worked on that, meaning sep or seven. We have the Samaritan Pentateuch, which was the Hebrew books written in Samaritan characters. So I'm going to write the Samaritan Pentateuch here. And uh, that was the uh, first five books of Moses. And then we also have what's called the Peshito. And that partial version uh, manuscript was... Uh, a whole translation of the Bible written in the common language of Syria, okay? Second, from there, these partial versions, then we come to what are presented as the early manuscripts or entire full copies of the Bible, and they called these codexes. And of all the codexes around, I'm going to mention or the three big ones. The first one was Sinaiticus, then the next was Vaticanus, and the next one was Alexandrius. And uh, Codex Sinaiticus, it came from the Greek Bible from around the 4th century AD. It was purchased in 1933 by the USSR, I mean by uh, Britain from the USSR, and it's now housed in a British museum. And it is one of the oldest entire codexes that we have. The Vaticanicus is housed by the Vatican Library in Rome, and it was compiled about 300 A.D. or something like that. And <clears throat> it's going to come into play here in just a second. And then the Alexandrius, it's missing 40 sheaves of, of its copy, but the rest of it is in complete uh, context, and it's housed in a British museum as well. These correlate perfectly with these these correlate perfectly, all of it correlates perfectly with the fragments and other copies that we have of Scripture. <clears throat> okay, from these ancient versions and compilations, many versions were presented. And I'm going to kind of go through and talk to you about these versions. In 400 AD, or these are translations, we have a, a version called the Vulgate. And hopefully you can read that. 
The Vulgate was translated about 400 AD by a guy named Jerome, who was a scholar, and he translated the Bible into Latin. And uh, in the town of Bethlehem is actually where he did it. And remember, we have the full codexes and all the manuscript evidence that can put a check on Jerome and uh, they, the codex and all these codexes completely validate the Vulgate version of the Bible. This version, however, did an injustice to common men and women because common folk could not read Latin. And so what it did was it kind of separated uh, the people from God's inspired word. Now, you might say, well, why would God allow that to happen? If you read in the book of Revelation, God foretold through the revelation of Jesus Christ that this was going to occur, that, that men and their priesthood, you know, these men get involved in their religion and their priesthoods and they start to sequester their knowledge and keep it from the common folks so that they can manipulate them. And the higher echelons of religion have always sought to do that to people. You know, you get too powerful and pretty soon the echelon doesn't want the lower people to know everything. You know, they're not able to handle the truth. And so they start pulling back on the stuff and keeping stuff secret. We've seen that in other religions too. Well, the priesthoods did this with the Latin Vulgate and the common people couldn't understand it. And guess what that initiated? It initiated something called the Dark Ages. And we went into about a thousand years where no other translations came forward. You can see we got 400 AD, the Vulgate comes out, the Latin translation, and then we go to 1380, and that's the, the first time we have a new translation. And that comes forth by a guy named John Wycliffe. What camera am I on? Here? Here. Uh, Wycliffe, uh, he was an English scholar and a Bible student, and he was inspired to translate the Vulgate into English. And uh, he first translated the New Testament in 1380. We're unsure about how much he actually translated before he died, but his colleagues finished it after his death. The English version, now taken from the Latin version, was available to the masses. So I'm going to write Wycliffe right here. That was way back in 1380. After that, one of his friends, or not one of his friends, somebody who appreciated his work named Tyndale, uh, persecution forced him out of England. He came across the continent and he provided us with the New Testament, another version. Tyndale was a Greek scholar and he used the writings of Erasmus, which are not included here in this fragmentary stuff, but quoted the Bible. He goes and he takes the writings of Erasmus to help clarify some of the things that weren't so clear. We're not talking about major doctrinal things. We're talking about singular words that don't change the overall gospel message at all, either Old or New Testament. So let's put Tyndale here. Long story short, we keep going. Tyndale, by the way, was martyred for his work in translating the Bible to show you how much power that upper echelon wanted to maintain. Tyndale was killed for it. We go to the Coverdale Bible. And uh, then we go to Matthew's Bible, not talking about the apostle. It's just called that the Great Bible. <clears throat> and that was in uh, 1538. And this Bible, they call it the Great Bible because it was really kind of elaborated upon and it was chained to the desks of churches because so many people wanted it and had a thirst for God's word that they would chain it to the desks of the churches and people would gather around to study God's word. The Great Bible was very popular. And then we go down to the Geneva Bible. And the Geneva was created in Geneva by Bible scholars who fled from England out of fear for Queen Mary. And uh, it became a very popular Bible, probably the most, popu most populous Bible in England. And then we go to the Bishop's Bible. And this Bishop's Bible was created in 1568 under the direction of the Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, during the reign of Elizabeth. And then we go to the Catholic Vulgate, and what the Catholics did was they translated their own Vulgate Bible that they had had control over for all these years into something called the Douay. And that is the Catholic Bible that they use today. They include in the Douay the Apocrypha, the apocryphal books that were written between the New Testament and the Old Testament. 
all right? And after uh, the Catholic Bible was translated into the Douay, in 1611, 47 scholars got together and gathered under the authorization of King James I of England. And the Bishop's Bible was used as the basis. This Bible here was used as the basis to translate and come forward with the uh, Bible we know as the King James Version. Uh, the Greek and the Hebrew versions were consulted to obtain the best interpretations, and the King James Version has been known uh, for the past four centuries and even longer as the most popular Bible to be sold. Even today, with all the new translations that we're going to come, and I'm going to show you quickly over here, even today, the King James Version outsells all the rest. So they call the, the King James Version the authorized version of the Bible, also known as the King James Version. So up to this point, we have God commanding holy men to write his inspirations down. And we've had dutiful scholarship. We've had writing, rewriting. We've had careful checks and balances to ensure accuracy. Uh, we've had linguist scholars, God-loving, God-fearing men and women tenaciously seeking to provide the world with the correct word of God over the ages uh, supported by manuscript evidence, but then between 1611 and 1881, when the next version came out, a Palmyra, New York teenager who was convicted of using peeping stones to find buried treasure decided that he was going to uh, translate the Bible not with manuscript evidence, not using the original languages, not with any knowledge of the Greek, not with any knowledge of the Hebrew or ancient languages, but according to what he believed it should say. What a slap in the face. Look at this. Lives. There's been martyrdoms. And Joseph Smith comes along and says, hey, I'm going to retranslate the Bible. I believe it's really part of my duty as a prophet. That's, that's recorded. He says it's part of my duty as a prophet to record this Bible. And, I mean, to translate this Bible. And so he sat down. He started in Genesis. And he just started rambling off what it should say and what it should mean. And translating the Bible is really a misnomer. There was no translation involved. It was merely him reading the text, and when he would come to difficult passages, he would have a revelation as to what they meant. So it's unfreaking believable when you actually read what he came up with. Uh, you don't read it very often because it's really not in their possession. According to LDS scholar Robert J. Matthews, the modifications made by Joseph Smith fall into one of four categories. Now, Robert J. Matthews is a PhD employed by Brigham Young University. He wrote a book called the Pl A Planar Translation, and it's a BYU publication, okay? This is what he says Joseph Smith did, all right? One, restoration of content material once written by the biblical scholars but since deleted from the Bible. So Matthew says Joseph Smith put back in what was taken out from the Bible. Okay, and how did he know what to put back in? Because as he was sitting there reading the text, God said, put that word in here, put that in here, okay? The second thing Matthew says is that a record of actual historical events that were not recorded but, uh, or may have been recorded, but were never included in the Bible record. So he rewrote history, is what he's saying. Third, inspired commentary was included by the prophet Joseph Smith, enlarged, elaborated, and even adapted to a latter-day situation. So when Joseph would come upon a passage that he thought fit Latter-day Saints and their situation, he would include that in his translation of the Bible. And finally, Matthews writes, listen to this, that Joseph added a harmonization of doctrinal concepts that were revealed to the prophet Joseph Smith independently of the translation of the Bible, but by means which he was able to discover that the biblical passage was inaccurate. The translation of that, what he's saying is because Joseph was told something by his revelation, he then could tell that the Bible was false. He would go through and read, and if something didn't jive with what his thoughts were as true, Revelation would tell him this Bible part is false, and then he would correct it. That's what Matthews is saying, uh, Joseph, how he was justified. 
Joseph Smith's work took place, uh, began in 1830 when he was no longer a teenager until his death in 1844, but the bulk of the work occurred between 1830 and 1833. In total, 3,410 Bible verses were changed or altered by Joseph Smith and his version of the Bible. Joseph Smith relied on uh, a version of the Bible that included the Apocrypha, and he would go through, he had this version of the Bible in front of him, and he would mark off a scripture, and he would add what he thought it should say, what it should be added or deleted from that verse, and he would go through. It's questionable as to whether he ever really even finished it. The translation is loaded with heresies and mistakes, which is why the LDS Church today doesn't necessarily claim it. Uh, Smith's translation, for instance, of Mark 13, 32, 1322, if you go to the LDS Bible and look that up, you'll go below and it will say JST, Joseph Smith translation, and it says Golgotha, the scripture says Golgotha, which is interpreted uh, place of the skull. Joseph wrote that Golgotha was interpreted the place of burial, okay? You can go down in their version, you can see the place of burial. You go to the Aramaic, anybody who's a Bible scholar, it's known as the place of the skull, that's what it is. There's nothing about burial there. But Joseph, you know, he had a revelation and thought, you know, that sounds kind of, they'll never know. I mean, no one really knows these languages. I think we'll call it the place of burial. And it flew for a while. Of course, many of Joseph Smith's revelations of the Bible uh, led to uh, revelatory experiences as he's translating. About half of the Doctrine and Covenants occurred through Joseph going through the Bible, coming across a difficult issue or passage that inspired him and coming up with a revelation as to what this is actually saying. Um, background on the Apocrypha is talked about in Doctrine and Covenants uh, 91. Three degrees of glory came up when he was studying the Bible. That happened in section 76. The eternal nature of marriage and plural nature that uh, resulted in LDS Doctrine and Covenants section 132. Teachings on baptism of the dead were included in Doctrine and Covenants 124. And various revelations on priesthood are included in Doctrine and Covenants 84, 88, and 107. All of it was the result of Joseph reading, coming across something saying, man, I really don't know what this, what this is talking about. God, what's it say? Okay, there it is. We're going to start baptizing dead people because they did it back then. No research, no historical, no linguistic, just Joseph's mind. Now, if this was truly an office of the prophet, how come the prophets today aren't doing the same thing? How come uh, Thomas Monson isn't spending his time retranslating the Bible with the new material or having the Lord speak to him and tell him what's going on? When we come back, we're going to talk more about Joseph Smith uh, and his Bible, and then we're going to finish up here and go on to take calls, uh, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. So uh, come back and join us on that. All right, we're back. Uh, listen, Joseph Smith was killed prior to the uh, revelation, uh, I mean, to the Bible being completed. And at the death of him, the manuscripts and documents pertaining to the translation were retained by his widow, Emma Smith, who refused to give them to Brigham Young and, uh, as they went out west. So the LDS saints who came out to Utah did not retain the, the Joseph's translation of the Bible. And uh, following Joseph's death, this guy named John Bernheisel asked permission of Emma Smith to take Joseph's Bible and go and copy his notes into his own. That Bible is actually in possession here in Salt Lake City by the LDS Church, but that is what they have. Joseph Smith's son, Joseph Smith III, became the leader of the church where Emma was, the reorganized church, and he took his uh, he took this translated Bible and they made it doctrine. They made it canon within the church. The LDS church does not accept the full Joseph Smith translation as canon or as significant, which is really interesting because 
they're saying that some of it was not inspired, but some of it was. However, there are 600 changes in the LDS Salt Lake City Bible, King James Version, that Joseph Smith made, and they're significant in doctrine and in substance, and you can find those there. So what they did was somebody supposedly more inspired by, than Joseph went through and said, of all these 3,400 changes Joseph made, these aren't any good, but 600 of them are valid. We'll keep those. Really interesting how that happens. Finally, Joseph uh, Smith translation uh, commentary by Bruce R. McConkie. He said the Joseph Smith translation or inspired version is a thousand times over the best Bible now existing on earth. Just to show you how they think. Back to the board. In 1881, uh, after the revered and ever so insane Joseph Smith translation came out right about in 1830, we jump up here to 1881, continue on, and we have what's called the revised edition, and this means the revised King James version, okay? And then we jump and we go to the American Standard version, and that was in 1901, and that came out where they took the English proper nouns, thee, thou, thine, and they put it into Americanized uh, language so it was easier to read. That's the American Standard version there. Between 1901 and 1951, everything was relatively silent, but a few things occurred. Archaeology revealed a whole bunch of new insights that were going to make translation of all this stuff or a retranslation even clearer. Never any doctrinal change, never anything that was found that said, wow, the Bible was wrong in this place. Only support of archaeology came and proved where critics would say, this never happened, that never happened. Every time they've done it, archaeology has come back and proved it has happened. Okay, so archaeology is one thing that happened between 1951 and today that has caused new modern English translations to occur. Another thing that really, really helped us see how valid our Bible is, was Qumran or the Dead Sea Scrolls. They found manuscripts of the Dead Sea Scrolls, like almost the full text of Isaiah, which was a thousand years older than anything we had here, and it showed that all the translations we had up to this point were dead on, absolutely dead on. They were exactly dead on in doctrine, and they were like 99.9% .9 dead on on Epissimus Werba, which means the very words were the same, okay? We are talking with the Word of God here. We're talking about one of the most powerful, important gifts that have ever been given to man. And people have messed with it so that they could manipulate others and get them to believe and follow their lies so that men could have control over your life. You don't need a church, even though church is good, you don't need it. If you have the Word of God and you're sitting in your log cabin reading, you have everything. What did Abraham Lincoln say? I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through this book. Daniel Webster said, if there is anything in my thoughts or style to commend, the credit is due to my parents for instilling in me an early love of the scriptures. Daniel Weber, when he says scriptures, means Bible, Latter-day Saints. If we were able, by the principles taught in the Bible, our country will go on prospering and to prosper. But if we and our prosperity neglect its instructions and authority, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us and bury our glory into profound obscurity. Ulysses S. Grant said the Bible is the sheet anchor of our liberties. Horace Greeley said it's impossible to enslave mentally or socially a Bible reading people. The principles of the Bible are the groundwork of human freedom. Andrew Jackson said to somebody, that book, sir, is the rock on which our republic rests. Immanuel Kant, one of the greatest philosophical minds of our century, if not ever, Kantian philosopher, he said, the existence of the Bible as a book for the people is the greatest benefit for the human race has ever experienced. Every attempt to belittle it is a crime against humanity. Charles Dickens said the New Testament is the very best book that ever was or ever will be known to the world. And you want to tell me, Latter-day Saints, that it's not trustworthy, 
that you can't rely on it, that it's been mistranslated by evil men, that God couldn't bring his pure word from the original source all the way through till today. I hope you rethink this. I really hope you do because the word of God is what will bring us around to knowing him intimately, will renew our minds and give us new hearts. All right, let's go to the phones. 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We're going to Jeb in West Valley on line four. Jeb, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, how's it going, Sean? Good, how are you? Hey, I'm doing good. I just first off, I'd like to say that I used to be a Mormon, but I quit. And I just love your show. Thanks, man. I just can't stand that religion anymore. Oh well, so what are you doing now? Uh, now I don't know. I really love Jesus, so you know, I, I chill with him all the time. But I don't, I'm kind of bouncing around between religions. I don't really know. Yeah. Yeah. Ha, do you uh, have you received our book? No, I haven't. Hey, if you stay on the line, give the operator your phone number. We'll send it out to you. It's. Uh, it's free, it won't cost you anything, and we'll go from cool. there. Great. All right. Thanks for calling, yeah. Jeb. Hey, I have one more thing. Oh, yeah. You know what changed me to drop Mormonism? No. This episode of South Park, you should see it. It's hilarious. <laughs> it brings yeah. out all the falsities in Mormonism. Yeah. A Trey, is it Trey Parker? Yeah, it really made me think. Well, <laughs> awesome. That's great, Jeb. Yeah, I right. love you, dude. Love you, too. Thanks. Take care, man. Bye-bye. However the Lord works, you know. <laughs> South Park. That's awesome. All right, we're going to Graham in Salt Lake City. Graham, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, how's it going, Sean? Doing well, Graham. How are you? Doing well. Um, I saw your show a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Someone called in about uh, what's on the inside of the Mormon temple. Oh, okay. Uh, um, are you allowed to talk about that at all, or...? Yeah, you can say a whole bunch of things that some people don't think you can without insulting them. Uh, Brigham Young talked about signs and tokens. You can talk about all kinds of things. I, I just don't talk about the actual uh, words and things they use because I don't want to insult the LDS audience who are seeking. Oh, no, I'm just talking about, like, uh, you said they had weird sculptures and stuff and uh, weird rituals. Yeah, they do a lot of very strange rituals. It used to be back uh, when I was going through that you would uh, make promises and then you would uh, do enact, actually enact how you would allow your life to be taken if you broke those, uh, those consequences. So just as an example, this isn't one of them, but if you would say, I promise to do this and if I don't, then I'll chop off the top of my head and you'll, you'll actually do the thing. And they used to do that. They had like a bunch of different things that you would do to show how your life would be taken if you reveal the secret. And it works as a binding force for the people who go in there. But what, what's the secret that they uh, make you swear an oath to? No, it's nothing. <laughs> it's, oh, really? Yeah, it's really, it's really nothing. Uh, doctrinally, theologically, they just give you these things, and there's handshakes, and there's signs that you make, and those are protected, and you're not supposed to show those to anybody else except when you're in the LDS temple. It's very Masonic. If you want to know what goes on in the Mormon temple, go to a Mason, uh, go to the website on Masonry, and look what they do, and it's pretty much the same thing. Oh, uh, because Joseph Smith was a Mason? Yeah. Okay. All right. And, uh, uh, I also had one more question, if that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, you said that the Bible has more historical evidence than the Iliad? Absolutely. Well, isn't the Iliad a fiction? No, they don't believe so. They, I mean, as far as its historical uh, commentary on, on Greek culture and stuff, no. Uh, aren't there, like, monsters and cyclops in the Iliad? Yeah, and they believe it's right. I don't know. I, I just know the... Um, I don't... People historical, the historical, the historical evidences for the Iliad and the Odyssey are, uh, which are written in the book, there is no, well, there is evidence, but it's nothing compared to what the Bible presents as evidence for its historicity or historicity. Oh, I don't think people will really believe that there's cyclops and monsters. I don't think they take it. To be well, the same, like literally. They may not, but they do believe in the, the cities and things that were supportive in the story. And those are the evidences maybe that they were talking about. Oh. 
the Mormons or who? No, not the Mormons. The people who read the Iliad. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, all right. All right, man. Thanks for the call. Yeah. Okay, we'll see ya. Right. All right. We're going to uh, PR in Salt Lake City. PR, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, Shawnee. Good to see you. <laughs> good to see you, PR. So uh, over the last few years, I reckon I've uh, read a good deal of the Bible. Uh, it, it, was, it was more than I expected in some places and less than in others. But I had some questions about it. Okay. Um, I don't know if I can answer them, but I'll try. Well, you should ask. Um, well... Uh, what would the Bible think of a uh, gay marriage? What would the Bible think of gay marriage? Yeah. <laughs> There's a loaded question, buddy. The Bible says uh, homosexuality is a sin. Okay, so I, w I don't think it comments on gay marriage at all. Well, I heard we could call it butt buddies instead. Ah, oh, beautiful, PR, beautiful. Any other words of wisdom? Yeah, one more question. Uh, have you heard of uh, Genesis one twelve? Yeah, I've heard of it. I don't know what it says. What does it say? It says, uh, God, shall, God gave us all the seed-bearing plants and herbs to use. <laughs> and um, you've been using them, haven't you? <laughs> no, not me. Uh, only when I'm in uh, Canada and Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's excellent. Well, you know, uh, the, the Bible doesn't say anything about pot, but it does talk about pharmakeia, and uh, I think you need to be careful, but, you know, whatever. Uh, oh, well, uh, well, it was nice talking to you, Shawnee. Hey, you too. Take it easy. All right, God bless. God bless you. Bye. Oh, boy. Uh, let's go to Jason in uh, West Jordan. Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, how you doing? Good, how are you? Good. Uh, I just basically wanted to briefly state some things supporting biblical Christianity. Okay. Um, let me just give you a brief history. I, I'm a former atheist. Okay. I, I didn't believe that there was such a thing as anything spiritual. I didn't believe in God, anything like that. Uh-huh. And uh, one day I was over at a friend's house who happens to be a pastor... And uh, the Holy Spirit came down upon me and, and convicted me of my sins. Okay. And uh, immediately, just as if uh, it was the first day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down on me, and it was a physical manifestation in my body, and I fell down to my knees and started sobbing uncontrollably as the Spirit poured Himself down upon me. All right. Ever since that day, I've been devouring the Bible, reading it cover to cover, uh, and putting putting into effect the words of the Bible, what it says, constantly trying to uh, clean my own closet out and walk in biblical truth only, not my human reasoning. Okay. So now I know 100% sure that the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ is at work in believers nowadays, and that because of the physical evidence in my body, not what I imagined happened, I know that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Because of the physical evidence in your body? Yeah, uh, and the fact that uh, since I've been convicted of sin and I've asked for forgiveness, uh, I now have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, well, I mean, that's a highly subjective experience that you're, you're, you're speaking right. of, and I'm not discounting it if you had that, and that's right. what, what's given you verification of your faith. Right. But there are plenty of people, Jason, who don't have this experience whatsoever, who are valiant I, Christians. I agree, I agree. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, and, and we, we, we fellowship with a bunch of people from all different churches, uh -huh. and, and we talk about this, and different people have, have different ways of being reborn or or absolutely know, a different walk with jesus absolutely Some people don't have to have the physical manifestation i don't believe no. because they've never been as far gone on the other side as in my case of being an atheist i see so i believe that 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 jesus had to 
touch my heart and touch my body physically. Okay. Otherwise, because he knew before, I didn't believe anything. I was walking completely the opposite direction. Well, we appreciate your, your experience, my friend. We're going to move along. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're going to uh, Stan in Provo at BYU. Um, Stan, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, this is Stan. <laughs> Hello, Stan. Hi. Um, just wanted to let you know that I have that same shirt that you have on. Really? Yeah, have you, have it you says told no, your... It says no religion. Yeah, I was wondering, because I just barely turned the show on, if you address the audience that what it says on it. No religion, and below it it says, just a relationship. It was given to me by my, my, my dear friend Derek, and, uh, and yeah, it's a great shirt, isn't it? Yeah, what is it? where does it quote on the bottom? You're asking me to read upside down now, Stan. <laughs> you should know it. I haven't read it. It says, uh, they, follow, they draw close to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Excellent quote. Yeah. Well, really appreciate I'm glad that we have a commonality in shirts. Is there anything else? <laughs> um, I understand people wanted to know about Freemasonry and what goes on in the temples. Yeah. Um, do you suggest John Ankerberg for that, for those people? You know, I don't, I am really, uh, I don't know much about, uh, John Ankerberg, but I've heard that name, so if that's a good resource, Stan, thank you, and we'll tell people. Check out John Ankerberg. All right? All right. Hey, thanks. thanks. Okay, talk to you later. Say hi to your mom, Stan. Okay, I will. All right, bye. All right, we're going to Dale in Spring Springville. First-time caller. Dale, welcome to Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Dale. Uh... Uh, I was just curious, uh, have they ever found any, uh, like, remnants or evidence of uh, Zarahemla? Nothing. 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 And doesn't it say in the Bible that uh, thou shalt not uh, worship false prophets? I don't think it says thou shalt not worship false prophets, but it does say beware of false prophets. Yeah, well, I'm beware of them. I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm just curious because I'm LDS myself, but Are I'm you? very skeptical about it. That's a good place to be, my friend, I tell you. And I don't like it, you know, and, uh, you know, I'd like to uh, actually attend me uh, another church, and I, I believe you mentioned Assembly of God? No, I mentioned uh, Christ Evangelical in uh, Orem. Okay. Yeah, give that one a shot. It's a great church. There's a lot of... Uh, Really great uh, believers there, and uh, you know they're not wacko; they're down to earth, and uh, you'll love them. Yeah, we get a little bit shunned, you know, because you know. Yeah. But, uh, I I I just uh, saw the uh, DVD of uh, the Book of Mormon versus the Bible. That's a great and one, there isn't is it? No remnants or evidence is there a Hamlet or none of that. None of it. I'm and telling it, you, it's, I'm, it's, it's a myth. It's freaked me out. Yeah. Keep searching for it, Dale. Go over to Christ TV and see what you think. Okay. All right, my brother. Thanks for calling. Right. Thanks. Bye-bye. We got a, an email from Joy who said, I was told by a minister that having a picture of Jesus in my home was having an idol that I worshipped. Is this true? I just got out of Mormonism and all the fear and guilt that seemed he was putting it right back on me again. I did not worship the picture. It's just one I had for years and years. He said the picture was something that was making me sick and I had to destroy it. What are your thoughts about this, Sean? Well, Joy, I think it's your minister who's making you sick. <laughs> I, you gotta be kidding. You know, pictures are just pictures. They're artists' conceptions and they may even be a little bit more honorable if they're of Jesus. The artist went to the time to express what he thought. I think we can become dogmatic. I think we be can become insane. And Joy, you know, um, Legalism is just a product of men to control others and get them to follow them. Don't believe it. You just trust the Lord. And look at that picture. If that makes you think of Jesus uh, in a good way, you keep your picture and go on from there. Uh, we have Chip in Salt Lake City on line two. Chip, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, how's it going? Going well, Chip. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I got a question for you, John. Yes. Um... I was noticing uh, that you listen to bands like uh, Bad Religion. I saw 
couple weeks ago you had a Bad Religion shirt on. Yeah, Bad Religion, the Ramones, Dead Kennedys, TSOL, 999. So do you think, I have a question about music. Do you think it's okay to be a Christian and listen to punk rock music? Well, let me ask you this, Chip. Are, are you asking this in seriousness, or are you asking this to kind of think you're actually cornering me? Uh, no, I just want to know if Jesus wants me listening to punk rock, or more particularly, like, heavy metal music. Well, I don't think Jesus oh. wants me eating donuts, but I'll eat them. And Jesus doesn't want me getting angry in traffic, but I do. And Jesus uh -huh. doesn't want me looking at a, a woman with some lust at the beach, but occasionally that happens. So okay. I don't believe in legalism. Jesus uh -huh. came and died and wiped sin off the face of this earth completely. Uh -huh. uh, wait, uh, you asked me a question. As a result, I walk in him by grace. Now that does not make me licentious. I repent. I change, but I am not a perfect man. I am a donkey. I happen to have grown up, cut my teeth on punk music. I still like it. Sorry to say. Maybe Jesus in a perfect world where I had a perfect body and soul, I wouldn't, but I do. And I'm not going to pretend, or I'm not going to just pretend I don't. And in fact, I wear those shirts because I often have people at airports come to me and say, you uh, like the, uh, you like uh, bad religion? I say, yeah, you like them? Yeah, man, I've been into it for a while. Really? So then we start talking, and then I'm able to talk to these guys about Jesus. Now, I would they come it. to me if I'm wearing a white shirt and tie? I don't think so. So there's a method to my madness, my friend. Does that help? Yeah, but I was, personally, I listen to, I've been listening to some death metal. Death metal? Yeah, and I don't know if that's, I'm, 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 I, I, I just became uh, Episcopal. I recently jumped shit from the Mormon faith, but I noticed myself on the internet a lot, and um, I, I've been listening to some, some metal music, and I don't know if, if Jesus would want me to listen well, to that. Well, if you don't know that Jesus would want you to listen to that, I certainly wouldn't be dabbling in it. You know, about, I think that the, Paul says all things are, are free and open, but not all things are expedient. So, uh, therefore, if it's to you, Chip, if it's difficult to you and you think listening to death metal, where it tells you yeah. to cut your head off, is not something that's uplifting to you, maybe you shouldn't listen to it. You can uh, pretty much tell, but uh, what about, I have another question, Sean, if I, if I might ask real quick. Yes. What about... Uh, and then the, and the same thing with the internet. I've been on the internet a lot, and I, I noticed pornography is really accessible. And I, sometimes I stumble upon it, and I'll just lose hours and hours. And I don't know if I don't know what God thinks about me doing that. <laughs> okay, it's really simple. The Bible says huh? you shouldn't lust. If you're looking at pornography, you're lusting. You're breaking a commandment. I mean, uh -huh. the the Bible doesn't talk about music. The Bible doesn't talk about uh, what I'm eating and, and drinking, but the Bible does talk about lust pretty emphatically. Now, oh, if you yeah. have the, the ability somehow to look at pornography and not lust, mm -hmm. well, maybe you're okay, but I would highly doubt that. So, right. you know, let's be reasonable. I think that in that case, you would probably very much want to stay away from it. I want to stay away from it because when I see it, it makes me feel bad inside, and it's I don't like hard. it. I don't know anybody who really does feel good when they look at pornography, to tell you the I truth. Feel, I feel good when I'm looking at it, but then after, you know, <laughs> well, I feel really maybe, bad. Maybe you ought to talk to the Lord about it. You really don't need a TV show host telling you. Open up the Bible, talk to the Lord, do some praying, and say, Lord, what do you think about me looking at pornography? And see where he leads you. Open up the Word, see what it says. Listen to some right. sermons, see what they say. All right, you can uh, pretty much tell. Thanks a lot, Sean. All right, man, take care. All right, hell safe. Okay, bye. What did he say? I don't know. I thought he said hell safe. Maybe that's a metal phrase, hell safe. Uh, we're going to Jason in North Salt Lake. Jason, you're on Heart of the Matter. Man, that guy just offended me about cutting down punk rock. I'm sorry, Sean. I had to call. <laughs> I'm an old school punk rocker. I've been into that music since I was eight, nine years old, since 85, 86. And I mean, I mean I'm talking the real underground trashy stuff yeah and that made me mad man i mean punk rock you know what it's the totally mo of the old old 80s punk you listen to it the really trashy 
It's more um, independent, and it tells the truth, just like the Bible would to an atheist, man, telling the truth and stuff like that. I appreciate that is- the honesty of punk, but I, I, can't, I mean, we're not talking about that. I, I understand what you're saying, though. I do. But I'll tell you real quick here, a question. This doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. Okay, if you're going to baptize a dead person, why would you want to baptize him if he's already in heaven? How do you baptize a dead person if he's in heaven? Oh, they don't believe he's in heaven. Well, then that's retarded. Okay, so they don't believe Jesus went to heaven? They believe that he's in a waiting place and that missionary... What about no? So Moses and all them? No, no, not, not, not Moses and all them. Uh, which is a really good question. I mean, did they do vicarious baptisms for, not Moses, but for like David and Isaiah? And, right. Yeah, good oh, question. One more question. One more question. This is really helps. This really helps a lot of people out there. I yeah. promise. Yeah. Okay. If you're going to, okay, a lot of people nowadays are reading the Bible because they want to know the truth so they don't get, you know, everything twisted and propaganda and lied to anymore. Yeah. Okay, a lot of people, they always put the Bible down because they say, well, I can't understand it because it's so hard. Because it seems like that when they always hit Deuteronomy, it, they, you know, because it's so confusing because it goes by the Moses laws and it repeats it. It's so long. Yeah. Anyways, you want to read a Bible? Honestly, this is honest to truth. This is what helped me understand it really, really good. Okay. Read a children's Bible first, then go back and read the original Bible. I'm you all for it. Totally behind you. I you agree with it. Open your mind like a little child. What is the what, children's Bible? Open your mind like a child. One plus one, you have to start with that kind of a basic. You can't just jump onto um, calculus, calculus and all that. And before you learn the basic, you have to learn the basic first. And what's the easiest way? Children's Jason, Bible. Jason, no. it's an excellent comment. Thank you so much for sharing it, my friend. All right, I'll let you go. Okay, bye. Quickly, we're going to Laura in Highland. Laura, I'm sorry, you have one minute. Oh, hi, Sean. Hey, thanks for the plug for Christ TV. You're welcome. It's definitely the best place for seeking Mormons. Awesome. Um, I also wanted to let you know on the your caller you had previously regarding the evidence for the Bible versus the evidence for the Iliad. Yeah. You were talking about manuscript evidence. Yeah. And and what that means is that there is there are more ancient manuscripts in existence for the Bible than there are for the Iliad, but yet the Iliad is taught as though it is, you know, perfect and nobody ever questions its authenticity. You're right. But, but there are, there's like ten times the number of manuscripts for the Bible that there are for the Iliad. Well, so thank that, you. For, that was the evidence that you were referring to earlier. Thank you for covering me on that. You're welcome, my brother. I love you. I love you too. Take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. All right, uh, we're almost out of time. Remember, next week, if you have family or friends who are LDS, we're going to step away from uh, the primarily the LDS topic. We're going to mention a little bit of it, but it's two days before Christmas, and uh, I think the show is going to be well worth it. Uh, finally, we have a missionary who is LDS missionary who wrote me, has been writing me for a while, and uh, his name is, he calls himself Elder Nothing. And uh, Elder Nothing is leaving his mission because he's been sneaking and watching a Heart of the Matter on uh, YouTube from South America. So uh, I know you're afraid. You've told me, you've written me, and I know you're taking steps to do it now. You come home to Utah and uh, you get uh, tapped into a church. It's all going to work out, Elder Nothing. God bless you. See you next week. Rusty King.